Hi all, and thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Open House. We're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all, because we believe that you can truly experience life advancement without having to spend thousands of pounds on -on one-on-one therapy. We believe that happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. If you love this episode today, please do share on social media and tag us at Open House Life, as well as tagging Dr. Tari and I. Now, into the episode, and it's a juicy one. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Open House with me and the amazing Dr. Terry Mack. This week, we are discussing all things good friends or effective enablers. And we are going to be looking at this through the recent finale of Euphoria with Elliot and Rue and a very special, sweet and sad situation that we all got to experience. So this is your spoiler alert. If you haven't watched the finale of Euphoria yet, then you should skip this episode and come back to it later. So I'm going to give you guys a little rundown of that finale so even if you haven't watched it or you're not a euphoria fan you can still take major value from this episode because dr terry and i have a lot of things to say so in euphoria elliot and rue's relationship is a very complicated one the two first meet at a new year's eve party and bond over their shared love of drugs and throughout the season as rue's substance abuse problem actually starts to spiral out of control Elliot enables it as he struggles with substance abuse himself too. The relationship ultimately starts out very fun, but it's really actually quite unhealthy because they both just fuel each other's demons and worst problems. This all takes a turn, however, towards the end of the series when Elliot tells Rue's girlfriend Jules that she's not actually been clean. This ends up in a big intervention with Rue's mum about her drug use and ultimately Rue having to go to rehab. At the end of the series, we get to see Elliot writing a song for Rue, talking about his deep relationship with her. And in part, he sings, you are my guitar. I think that you may be my only friend. I gave it all to see you shine again, and I hope it was worth it in the end. So, Dr. Terry, in these lyrics, we see him revealing his feelings towards her and his role in her life, which I guess they really connected over this use of drugs. And at the end of the song, he basically says that, I hope one day we'll meet again, some distance when you're older, you'll come laying on my shoulder and tell me that the storm is over. Mm -hmm. So what we saw here is just this really beautiful situation where they really did care for each other, but they really brought out the worst in each other. And ultimately, Elliot chose Rue's health because anyone that's watching it knew that Rue was on the brink of really ending her life with this drug taking at this point, which I think was just so emotional. And if anyone hasn't listened to this song, go and listen to it I literally cried my eyes out so Dr Terry I don't know where you want to start whether you want to input quickly on the friendship that we saw develop between them or whether you want to go straight into what is an enabler let's start with what is an enabler just so we're all speaking the same language we know what we're talking about so enabling means that we are doing things for somebody that they would be doing on their own if they weren't using drugs or engaging in unhealthy or self-destructive behaviors. So in effect, we're enabling the addiction, we're enabling the unhealthy behaviors, right? Sometimes we feel like we're doing that because we care and we see that somebody's struggling. Like if somebody is addicted to drugs or drinking too much, we may fill in the blanks for them in their life. We may make doctor's appointments for them or 
fill in responsibilities that they should be doing on their own. And we feel like we're helping them. We feel like we're loving them because we're helping them. But really when we're enabling somebody, we're hurting them because we are keeping them from having to step up and do their own work and take responsibility for their lives. Mm -hmm. And I guess I, I want to point out that sometimes we do it out of love. Sometimes we do it because it serves us. Yeah. And enabling is very much a part of codependent relationships where one person devotes their time and energy to taking care of the sick person or the addicted person or the, the ill person. And why does that happen? Because the caregiver or the enabler often is getting their sense of value from that. They feel like as long as this person stays sick or addicted, they will always need me. And that can be conscious or unconscious. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that what I took, you know, from what you just said there around that it can also be selfish. You can also be doing it self-servingly. And I think that in the situation with Rue and Elliot, he was getting the benefits of that. He had substance abuse issues himself. He wanted someone to take drugs with him. He wanted someone to hang out with him. I think we see this in today's society so much, which is that if we use drinking or drugs or smoking or anything actually, including fitness or sex or shopping as a coping mechanism, we don't want to do it on our own. So I think that it's very interesting looking at it in that light that when I look at my friends now, I can often see that, oh, they're the party friends. Like they use each other to go out because they condone each other's drug taking or excessive drinking or make bad decisions into like really funny stories and they kind of enable this. So yeah, really interesting to understand that people have different drivers. Sometimes it can be caring for someone and looking after them. But other times it can be, I'm going to enable your behavior because I also get something off the back of this. So would you say that I'm correct in my analysis of that being what happened between Elliot and Rue? Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the beginning, they were kind of enabling each other, right? Like they got together, they did drugs, it was fun. But the really beautiful thing about that friendship is that when Elliot started to see that Rue was spiraling and actually putting herself in a dangerous place, he could have easily continued to ignore that, or he could do the loving thing, which is what he ended up doing and telling the truth and not using drugs with her anymore, even though that was so much of what their friendship was about. But he demonstrated real, true love and caring because real, true love and caring means you want the best for somebody, even if it means it doesn't give you what you want. Truth bomb right there, because I think when we're less aware of ourselves and perhaps when we're stuck in these cycles of, you know, pleasure seeking and coping with life, we sort of don't think that much outside of ourselves. We're sort of just thinking, where's my pain? Where's the pleasure point? Okay, so I feel like this. And if I drink, it's going to take me here. Who's mm-hmm. coming along with me for the ride? Yeah. And then actually, when you go a little bit further on that journey, you're a bit more, you think of things a little bit differently, a bit more like, okay, this hurts. Why does this hurt? And what do I want to do to solve the problem? And why isn't that a good idea? And I think when you start to take a step back and analyze the process, you can then see that for other people too. Oh, my involvement in your life does this. And I actually don't think that's good for you. So I'm going to put you ahead of me and take a step back. What are your thoughts about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think as we do the work, like you're saying, as we become more self-aware, I often ask clients, what would your highest self do? And when we're in that pre-work place where we're relying on external things to make us feel good, short-term gratification, we're not in touch with our highest self at all. That alignment, right? Where we are just acting out of love for ourselves and other people. One other thing that I wanted to say based on what you're saying is just to give an example that comes up a lot, especially I think in addiction, sometimes we enable people we love because we feel like if we don't, something really bad is going to happen. If I don't give them money for food, even if they go and spend it on drugs, they could be living on the streets. Or if I don't give them a place to stay, they could be living on the streets. Mm. But in reality, if you keep that person comfortable while they're doing these self-destructive things, you're hurting them. You're allowing that to go on longer. And oftentimes people need that support and that enabling taken away for them to face reality that something needs to change for them to seek out the help for them to acknowledge what they're doing to themselves. And so sometimes it's not easy to stop enabling because there's a lot of fear there. Yeah. And I was going to say as well, do you see in practice that when people do finally make that decision to pull away, that often the other person can really lash out or because they're having something taken away from them that makes their lives more difficult. And I'm trying to think of an example here and I can't really think of one, but I I can think that, for example, you know, even whenever I receive like criticism from my mom, it's the truth that she's often telling me, but I don't want to hear it. And it's painful and it hits a wound. And I want to lash out and be like, and actually, I think that's probably the same here is that ultimately there's probably quite a lot of anger when someone takes something away from you that I guess ultimately is in your best interest, but it doesn't feel like that. Right. Do you see that reaction being angry often in these situations? Yeah, it can range from angry to pathetic to victim-y. It's the same as when we try to change any relationship dynamic. If a dynamic is no longer working for us, so we change our part in it, the other person is going to react and try all kinds of ways to get us back to that old dynamic. And we just have to hold our boundary until the other person has to adjust to it. And I want to say, we're talking about not enabling somebody for the addict or the sick person's benefit. But also when we are enabling somebody, we are also sick. We are also playing a role in that really sick dynamic. So we need to stop enabling. We need to set boundaries so we can be healthier. Wow. And we spoke about that in the Justin and Haley episode earlier in series two, where we were basically saying that she sacrifices so much of her and her identity just to be with him, be in the studio, remind him to take his medication, zip him into his hyperbaric oxygen chamber bag thing, that actually she's lost herself in that relationship to some extent. Of course, we don't know what's actually going on. We're taking this from what we've seen on the documentary. And really interesting to see that actually people can get lost in these situations. And that I guess that's why that they can go on and on and on and on. And you can see people being in these situations until one person just takes one person to wake up to break the cycle, right? Absolutely. And you know, a lot of people don't even understand what healthy boundaries are. (laughs) And this is what we're talking about is setting healthy boundaries 
So we are not allowing things in our life that make us feel bad. We are not participating in dynamics that are not healthy. And each of us has to be the one to set our boundaries. But if we feel like it's our job to keep everybody happy or take care of everybody, we don't have any boundaries and we're scared to set them. Yeah. And this is bringing up something for me, which is a bit off piece, but I see in today's society, people scared to tell people the truth. Okay. I see it in friendships. I see it in relationships. I see like some of my best friends just like not being honest with each other. And I guess that kind of can be extrapolated out into these situations. And what is that when you're scared to tell someone the truth? Like, no, actually, I don't agree with what you said, or I don't actually like how you acted there. Like, I feel like it was X, Y, Z, and it made me feel one, two, three. What is it that is holding us back from setting those boundaries, but also from just speaking our authentic voice? Because I have had it a lot throughout my teens and 20s where you just agree with someone. You just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, oh my God, what a bitch. Like, oh, I can't believe she did that. And Mm -hmm. now I'm like, no, I actually don't, I will be more vocal. I'll be like, do you know what? I actually think she did this because of that. And I think you're coming from this place. But what is it about our reactions when they're not honest or not clear in their boundaries? Are we being driven by fear? Always. Ah. And depending on each of our stories and each of us individually, it, it could be fear of different things. Fear of not having approval, fear that somebody is going to be upset with us, fear of hurting somebody's feelings, fear of losing the relationship. You know, many of us were not raised in families where it was okay to be honest Mm -hmm. and say how we really feel, to say how we really felt. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline to call out dynamics in the family that were not healthy or that were hurtful. So we learned to just keep it to ourselves. On one hand, it could have been awkward to bring it up in our families. On the other hand, on the other end of the continuum, it could have been dangerous. So we carry all of those same scripts into adulthood, into our friendships and relationships. And it's really scary to be honest with somebody we really care about and love because we don't know how they're going to respond. You're right. And people suppress a lot of things. And I always love the phrase, the weight of the things that are unsaid. I think there's so Mm -hmm. much that's unsaid. And I think we just think, oh, I just won't say anything because in 10 minutes I'll be over it. And, you know, then I'll forget about it. But actually we need to be in these relationships where we can openly and honestly say, and compassionately and kindly oh I don't actually agree with you on that and we discuss this often in other episodes that if someone's going to be triggered by that and dysregulated by that and they can't cope with any kind of healthy conflict then again it's just a flashlight that oh this person maybe is not that safe for you as a friend but what I'm starting to see more and more is that and I think we should actually do some more stuff on conflict and healthy conflict at some point soon I know we did an episode on Teddy and Faye from Love Island kind of going into what toxic conflict is Mm. 
because what I'm seeing across the board is that people would just prefer to avoid conflict rather than engage in it because it seems to be either avoid or toxic conflict. I don't think that people have been taught through their childhood the skill set of healthy conflict and healthy communication. And I am part of that. I've learned it through the last two years in therapy, but we need to go into that, don't we? Oh my gosh. That is like the core of my work and my passion because conflict communication, truth, that is how we develop that deep connection that we talked about in the, in the episode we just did. And without that deep connection, we're empty as humans. We crave connection, but we've not been taught how to get it. We crave connection with other people, but when we suppress or when we push other people away, because we don't know how to do conflict, we Mm. keep ourselves from the very thing we need. So yes, teaching people how to have conflict is one of the most important things I can do because it's one of the most important life skills. Yeah, I love that. And I have a really interesting thought here, which is that when I stopped taking drugs and drinking nearly four years ago now, which is literally crazy. But when I stopped doing that, I was able to look at it in a different light. And I was able to see how many people that take drugs do it as like a a social activity, as a form of connection. It's like Mm -hmm. the thing that drives the night, you know, who's got the drugs? Should we go to the bathroom? Like, oh, we're going to do them together. It's this Mm -hmm. weird form of human connection through drug taking, which sounds so weird and outside of the box for anyone that hasn't been involved in this kind of activity because it sounds such a weird thing to do but it really is like a part of the social evening Mm -hmm. and actually what I've seen over time is that these people really just want to connect and have a good time and they're doing it through the vehicle of drugs and I think bringing it back to Elliot and Rue Mm -hmm. my question to you would be were they even really friends you know do you think you can Mm -hmm. be friends and be enablers I think they were friends and I think there was connection there but I think there are levels of connection beyond what they've experienced like even that conversation at the end he's still doing drugs we don't know if he was on drugs but for them to build a relationship completely sober so each person can feel the awkwardness and the vulnerability and the fear and the Mm -hmm. discomfort that comes with really showing our true selves little by little that is the kind of connection that many of us never experience if we don't learn how to tell the truth and show up, right? In a kind and honest way. Yeah, and that is one of the major things that I've experienced since going sober is that without alcohol, you have to connect with someone And actually, it's very, very difficult to connect with someone who's drunk because a couple of drinks, they're fine. But anything after that, it just they just become like a different version of them. And you're not actually connecting with them. You're connecting with a drunk version of them. And yeah, it's taught me really that you're right. The, The connection and the vulnerability and the communication happens when you're not out partying and when you're not taking drugs. And it is insanely awkward to get to know someone or to date someone and have your first kiss or the first time you sleep with someone totally sober. But now for me, it's so normal. People are like, oh my God, don't you find it so weird? Like sleeping with Mm -hmm. someone for the first time. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I wish I was sleeping with anyone. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, girl can dream. But from what I remember about Mm -hmm. it, no, it's not awkward. It's just normal. It's actually not normal for it to be blurry and sloppy and and drunken and not talking and not connecting. So yeah, I love that. I love that from you. Thank you. And I think this 
episode is about enabling and everybody listening can, again, I always ask people to really be honest with themselves in a compassionate way. Like, are there places in your life or your friendships where you are enabling somebody because it's more comfortable for you? And are you avoiding changing a dynamic because you're scared? Mm. You're scared about how the relationship would change. You're scared that the relationship would go away or you feel guilty if you step out of that role. So maybe now would be an awesome time for us to get into if someone is listening to this and they're thinking, oh, yeah, like this is hitting a little bit close to home. Like I let them do X, Y, Z, or I'm always the drunk friend or the drunk friend or party friend. Mm -hmm. What should you do? How would you approach a situation or a discussion like this with someone that actually they need to stop enabling? Yeah. So if you are realizing that you enable in a dynamic and maybe you haven't been being honest, if you're concerned about a friend or there's something that's happening that you're not comfortable with, number one is you always want to be kind and honest. Number two is no judgment. So when you speak, it's not like you're doing this and that's bad, or you're doing this and that's dangerous. But again, own your feelings. I'm realizing that I'm concerned or I'm scared for you, or I don't like how I feel when I'm around this. And if you may not even know what to do or what the answer is, the first step is just having the conversation. Like I've been feeling off about this. I've been feeling, I feel like there's tension between us, like whatever the truth is, just start there. And I always tell people, if you're scared to have this conversation, then start by saying that I'm really scared to bring this up with you, but I'm doing it because I love you and I care about our friendship, but I just want you to know this is not easy for me. When we let people know where we're at and we approach it like that, they're more likely to understand that we're feeling vulnerable and we're there because we care as opposed to coming from judgment. I absolutely love that. I think it's so easy for us to go to someone and say, you take drugs all the time and you make me take them too. And I just don't like who I am when I'm around you and kind of pin it all on them. And sometimes I don't think you mean to be unkind. I think that's just how people have been taught to communicate is like you lead with the pain point rather than the compassionate point. And so I love the idea of flipping the script and just saying, hey, our friendship has been making me feel a little bit different recently. And I've been trying to sit with that and explore what is different about it. And maybe it's that I would love it if we could have a friendship outside of taking drugs together. And I love the idea of coming at it from a more neutral stance or from how it makes you feel rather than it being what they've done. Right. And you always have a part in it too. So own your part. I know I haven't said anything, so you don't know how I've been feeling. I know I've been drinking with you too. So that's on me. You're not forcing me to do that. So when we judge other people, it's because we're refusing to look at or accept parts of ourselves. So as we become more compassionate with ourselves and able to own our own behavior and decisions, then we become less judgmental of others as well. So we approach this from this kind, compassionate stance, calmly regulated, well thought out. And I think at that point is then when we're faced with a bit of a crossroads, the person will either respond and say, okay, that's really interesting feedback. I've also been thinking this, maybe we should have a go at our friendship looking like this, or maybe we need to just spend a couple of weekends not doing X, Y, Z. But the reality is, is that at some point, quite a lot of people within society will come back feeling triggered or angry, upset, 
dysregulated. So that's where they may say things like, well, how can you fucking talk? You've done just as much drugs as me. Like, why do you think you're so above me now? Blah, blah, blah. So at that point, when someone perhaps reacts more negatively, is it better at that point to take a step back and to say, okay, let's take a time out on this conversation and come back to it? So you don't have to go all in into that toxic conflict piece, do you? No. And that's again about good boundaries. So if a conflict is turning into someone yelling or someone being defensive or somebody not listening or kind of arguing, then you just set a boundary and say, I I'm open to talking about this with you, but I think I'd rather do it when we're both calm. I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm being heard. I obviously made you defensive. I didn't mean to do that. So let's just take some time. Each of us can process a little bit and then we can come back to it. Yeah. That's really helpful and really important. And I think that it's always painful to be on the receiving end of criticism. I mean, I don't know if it ever gets easier. I think probably when you start to do the work a little bit more, you can be more accepting of it and manage your reaction. But I remember the last time that someone gave me some feedback like that, and it was a while ago now, but a guy friend said to me, you just always you always say that you want to hang out with me and then you just never actually like pull through and you're too busy and you're not really a woman of your word. And that like really hit me really, really hard. And I wanted, I think I did get really defensive and I was really upset by it. And actually now I've done the work. I wish I'd just been able to say, thank you for your feedback. I'm going to go away and take this on board. And then I'll come back to you because I would have come back and said, I've been thinking about it and you're right. I overcommit to you and I just don't have the time bandwidth to sort of give you what I've said I would like to give you. And it must be really frustrating to be on the receiving end of. I never meant to mess you around. Your time is valuable too. And I'd like to see you at this time, at this place. Are you free? Something like that. So I love the idea of actually just taking some time out. And I also think maybe there needs to be a time out to reassess who you both are, who one of you is without them so do you think that sometimes it can take a while to rebuild that friendship and maybe sometimes it's actually just not a good idea to rebuild the friendship as well yeah I think you need to find out do we have a friendship outside of drinking and drugs are there other things we connect on right and if you're going to spend time together without any substances if that's not something you've done before just know it's going to be awkward, but that's not a bad thing. When we're feeling awkward, we're feeling vulnerable. And that's, again, the only way real connection happens. So you don't run away from it. You just acknowledge it and stay with it. Yeah, I love that. It is uncomfortable, but the more that you spend time with those people, actually, it will become more comfortable if they are a safe space for friendship and a container for kind of love and respect. Okay, so great episode. Again, so much truth and value and free therapy ultimately in this session. So thank you so much. I was just wondering before we wrap up, if you have any final pieces of wisdom for anyone listening that feels like, yeah, this is me, I'm in this situation and I'd like to do something differently. Yeah, I think in that case, the one thing I want you to know is that you are not responsible for anybody else's well-being. And when we talk about healthy boundaries, it means not taking on responsibility for things that are not your responsibility. So 
if you're enabling because you're trying to keep somebody happy, because you're trying to keep them safe, because you don't want them from getting worse, you're not in charge of any of that. And so setting a boundary for yourself will ultimately help you, but also the other person, even if it doesn't feel that way right now. Yeah, so beautiful. And I think that's how you really can move towards connecting deeply and truly with other human beings. And that's where kind of some of the most joyous moments of life come from. So yeah, thank you for everything. As usual, you are amazing. If you guys listening enjoyed this, please do like and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Please be sure to share to social media tagging Dr. Terry and I, because we love, love, love to hear when you have been listening. So Dr. Terry, thank you for everything. And I will see you next episode. Thank you for everything. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas. We've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Sillias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.